Our goal tonight is to get through um, Isaiah 60, 61, and 62. This chapter before us begins, I should say it brings us to the full manifestation of the millennium. If you look at the last couple verses of chapter 59, it sets up chapter 60, but I'm just going to read the importance of prophecy here and uh, the Lord's perspective on it. For him, it's just the same as taking history. In other words, prophecy, let me say this, prophecy is the mold into which history is poured. I like that saying. Prophecy is the mold into which history is poured. In other words, everything's past tense as far as the Lord is concerned. It's already happened. So we're reading, if we're reading it from the Lord's perspective, everything is past tense. It's all done. The book of Revelation is over. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who is thirsty come, and we have the end of the story. It's a foregone conclusion. We just read, Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away. Somebody want to say amen? But not my word. So the authority that we have and what we're getting into here tonight is prophetic. And it really begins with the last couple of verses of chapter 59. And I want to read them uh, beginning with verse 20. It says, the Redeemer will come to Zion. That is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Now as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit whom is upon you and my word which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And it's setting us up now for a period of time of darkness that's going to go into this wonderful, glorious period of time that the worship team was singing about tonight. Chapter 1, first three verses. Arise and shine, for your light has come, explanation point. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. The darkest hour, and then you have the light, is the idea. And deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will rise over you. So in other words, the world is going to go through this terrible period of darkness where Jesus said, these are the beginnings of sorrows. And he talks about some of the things in Matthew 24. He talks about famines, uh, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. And he has a list of these things sort of intensifying as we get closer to the end. But the Lord will arise over you. So the train of thought is we've got to go through a dark period of time, but the Lord will then come and, and rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come into your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Now this is the glory of Israel in the kingdom. Where are we in reference to this? Well, Today's Israel's birthday, 68 years old. I think 70 is an interesting number. I'm not setting dates or telling you in two years the Lord's going to come. I hope he comes long before then. Good time for an amen, especially after trying to play softball on on Monday night. (laughs) Stretching out really good, but I'm still sore. Here it is uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night. You know, my brain tells me I'm 26, and my body says, no, you're not. You're 65, man. You better wake up to that reality but I can still catch a ball, so I guess that counts a little bit. The darkness that will come, how bad is it going to be? Here's a real reality check. The prosperity teachers, 
preterists that are out there, dominion now theology, kingdom now theology, actually believe that we're in God's kingdom right now. I'm really disappointed if we're living in God's kingdom right now. I am really, really disappointed. Turn on the news, another 100 people died today in Baghdad, three different attacks. And that's just going to go on and on and on. And now, watching the news, we got Putin doing things that um, they used to do uh, in Russia just to show off their muscles and they, they do their, you know, their, their, their walk and their showing off their nukes. And that's on the news tonight. Putin's just showing off a little bit because we've just developed a new system for Europe to protect against such things. So what we call that is saber rattling. And you've heard about the flybys where the Russian jets go over and turn over just to tick us off and uh, try to provoke us. They're key players right now. As we're watching all this unfold, we have to ask the honest question. Well, if Ezekiel 38 is actually on the horizon, is, is Russia in the Middle East? We have to say, yep, sure is. What about Iran? They're the first one in line. Are they part of the equation? Oh, yeah. They haven't changed their rhetoric one bit. Israel has to be destroyed. They're the little Satan. We're the big Satan. So they're all, this is all part of things that are unfolding. So the darkness, Jesus said, would be so intense. Matthew 24, verse 21. He says, for there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There's no way, gang, that we're living in the kingdom age right now. If you just look at what's going on and, and the discussions and the debates are so off the wall and off the charts, the major discussions is, uh, can men go into girls' bathrooms and can girls go into men's bathrooms? And that's being the law of the land. It's being made the law of the land. And we're just going, how quick can this nation be unraveled as we're watching it being unraveled right now? So in the first three verses, what we have is even though this dark period is on the horizon, the church will not be a part of it, as we just read. The light that will shine will be from the Lord himself. The Gentiles shall come into your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. And then you will see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and those of Sheba shall come. And notice what they bring. Now this is during the kingdom age, and the wealth of the world, it says, is going to be regathered once again. And... Um, it says, and they shall bring gold and incense. I want to stop just right there. Because when, of course, when the wise men came, we say the three wise men. Well, we don't know. It could have been more than three. The reason we say three 
is because of the gifts that were brought. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, the, the gold, of course, spoke of his, his uh, king. The frankincense, his priest, so we have a king and a priest, but the myrrh was a, a symbol of what they would embalm him with. They, they brought these spices, the women did, and it was to signify uh, the Lord's death. But notice, in the millennium, they're bringing gifts to the Lord, gold, frankincense, I believe it's frankincense, but there's no mention of the myrrh. And don't let that just slip you by, because there is no more death. He's the first of the resurrection, and um, he, he and we will have resurrected bodies at this time. So as we look at these, these first verses, it's as they're entering into. Here we have Israel coming into, once again, uh, the millennial period of time. Second coming, um, no myrrh. And all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nehemiah shall minister to you. Uh, they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And this, of course, is a reference again to the, the kingdom age. Now, in verse 8, we have this question, who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roost? Surely the coastlands shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first. To bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, the name of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. Just verses eight and nine. I want to go back to this and I want to read, read a paragraph where when Israel becomes the head again and not the tail, becomes the power of the entire earth, the glory of the world is gathering back to Jerusalem. I'm going to go down to the paragraph that begins in where it says in 1947. In 1947, the world was astonished when incredibly, for a brief moment, both the United States and the Soviet Union unprecedentedly agreed to endorse the creation of a Jewish state. At that time, there was only 600,000 Jews in Palestine when the state of Israel was declared. And again, that was on May 14th by David Ben-Gurion, of 1948, yet against all odds and despite inadequate armaments and the lack of military training, uh, fighters from the fledging state successfully vanquished the combined military forces of its uh, its neighbor Arab neighbors, uh, determined to destroy us. Victory was not achieved without painful sacrifice, and 24 hours before rejoicing on Independence Day, we pay tribute to over 20,000 Jews who gave up their lives to defend our Jewish state. Now, the Lord says, when I bring them back the second time, they're never going to depart again. Now, Sunday, we're going to be on in Isaiah chapter uh, 63 and and talk about a little bit again... um, what Israel's going to have to go to before the Lord actually sets up his kingdom. But here in chapter 60, 
we're actually beginning in the, in the kingdom age. Verse, verse 10 through 12, uh, the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, for in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you, Therefore, your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and the kings in procession. And now in verse 12, we'll do a little sidetrack. For the nations and kingdoms which will not serve you, they shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. All right, before this kingdom age can be done, verse 12 tells us that the nations and kingdoms which will not serve you, he's going to deal with. Now we need to go back to Matthew chapter 25, where we actually see uh, this separation taking place. And let's, I'm going to try to keep it in the context here. In chapter 24, we have a picture of um, the signs to look out for. Jesus says these are the beginnings of sorrows, earthquakes in various places, famines. And um, then he talks about Israel. And four times, when the Lord repeats something twice, we should take notice. When he says it three times, we should really take notice. But he says it four times here in Matthew 24. And that is, let no man deceive you. And that's in the days we live, uh, there's much deception, much false teaching that's out there. Um, And then he makes reference, one of the the deceptions that we talked about on Sunday is Israel so primed that their leading rabbis are saying the coming of the Messiah is imminent. And that's what they're teaching in Israel right now. They're calling for the rebuilding of the temple And if you ask them how they know when the Messiah will come, they'll say he will have the power and the authority to give us our temple. And so now Jesus talks about that here, and we refer to it often in verse 15. He says, Therefore, when the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, he points to... Back, us, back to the book of Daniel, which we were in on Sunday. And um, I pointed out that the abomination of desolation is really an event after an agreement is made with um, the Antichrist. And when that agreement, seven-year agreement, is broken, it says in the middle of that week, well, that's what Jesus is referring to here. So obviously in verses 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and so on, where are we chronologically? We're in the tribulation, especially in the middle of it. So this sort of gives us a scenario. And then uh, what I quoted earlier, the Lord says that that then there will be great tribulation, uh, not such since the beginning of the world, nor till this time, nor ever shall be. And then he says, unless I come back, and intervene, nothing is going to be saved. Well, that's what we started chapter 60 with. Before the kingdom, there has to be the darkness. And that's what Isaiah is saying in the first couple, three verses of Isaiah chapter 60. In verse 27, 
uh, we have the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the seven-year period of time. And he says, uh, from the, as the lightning comes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Um, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from heaven. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven, so here's the second coming, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And we have this great gathering, and then whole never, another change of thought. Here you have the parable of the fig tree, which talks about the, the sign. Now there's many signs, but again, singular, and it's a reference to the nation of Israel. They have to be in existence or none of this matters. So the question is, does Israel exist? The answer is, absolutely. It's the focal point of everything that's happening in the Middle East today. So that should have our attention. Now, when it says there has to be, as we just read back in um, verse 12 of... um, of Isaiah, and I'm going to go back, and it says, and they shall, verse 12, for the nations and kingdoms which will not serve you, they're going to perish. So before, when the Lord comes back, obviously there's those people that um, took the mark of the beast, um, were attempting to destroy the Jewish people, And the Lord comes, and Isaiah tells us he's going to separate them and destroy them. Well, here's where we have the New Testament more clarification given. If you look at chapter 25, beginning with verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes, what's his first order of business? When he comes in his glory with all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all of the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other as a shepherd divides the sheep from his goats. First order of business is he's got to separate those who are going to be able to go into the millennial kingdom and those who are going to perish. Isaiah 60, verse 12. The wicked are going to perish. Well, when and how? Well, he will set the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Now, when you go to the last couple verses of Daniel chapter 12, it says, Blessed is he, the Lord returns after 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation. So, if you're here tonight and you're not saved and you don't go up in the rapture, I am... you can actually know the very day that the Lord's going to come again when the abomination of desolation takes place. Just start marking off a calendar if you're still around. And then it says, after that, after he comes, it says, but blessed is that man that makes it to the 1,000, 1,000. <laughs> I want to make sure I get the number right. I'll just give it to you. 
real quick. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335th day. So 1,300. Well, why are they blessed? There's a 45-day difference in time from the time the Lord comes back until the time that there's these people that are blessed. Well, why are they blessed? Well, evidently, the period of time to judge the nations of the world is a 45-day period of time. And the ones who are uh, prepared, the Lord has prepared the kingdom for, they made it. These are those who did not take the mark of the beast. These are those that, in Revelation, it says that one of the angels that he saw preached the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So the gospel will go back to Matthew 24, verse 14, and it says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Despite our greatest missionary advancements in the world, I find nowhere in history, including now, where everybody in the world has heard the gospel. Anyone want to say amen? But it's going to happen. It clearly says in Revelation that an angel is going to do it and everybody's going to hear it and you have a choice. Now, if I'm undecided during this period of time, I think one of the, the, the biggest reasons that there's a tribulation is twofold. It makes people choose. You are forced to choose. If you choose to want to um, be able to buy or sell, you're going to have to take the mark of the beast. And the angel warns, don't take the mark of the beast. But the gospel is being preached at the same time. So there are going to be those who hear the gospel. Nobody's sitting on the fence during the tribulation. You're either for the Lord or you are against him. And there will be those who make it, and they will be the ones who will be entering in. And here's a criteria of this period of time. Uh, Verses 35 the ones that make it in says, he's talking to, about the Jewish people right now and how they're being treated. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Missionaries love to quote this scripture. It has nothing to do with missionary work. It has to do how people, during the tribulation, how they treated the Jewish people. To the least of these, my brethren, I was naked and you clothed me. He's talking about the Jews. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and, and, and take you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren. And then my brethren there is a reference to the Jewish people. If you did it to them, then you've done it to me. But, and this now, and beginning with verse 41, we have the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60, verse 12, where it says there's a group of people that are going to have to perish. And that's where we're picking it up here. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know what the, everla- the word everlasting there means in the Greek? It means everlasting. <laughs> it means exactly what it says. So for those universalists or Rob Bell's book, Love Wins in the End, 
It's all false doctrine is what Jesus warned us against. Look out for those that hold to universalism, that eventually everybody's going to get saved, or they'll only be in torment for a little period of time. The Bible says here, what? Everlasting. Prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they will answer him, saying, Well, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not, do it to the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Gang, there's no way that you can get away from from. Everybody living forever, that's not the question. The question is, where are you going to live forever? Amen? That's what's, that's what's being laid out here. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 60. And what we have in view is, is sort of jumping back and forth a little bit. But what we have in view, we made it up to verse 12. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed. I'm sorry, that's 62. For the nations and the kingdoms which will not serve you, they will perish, and those nations will be utterly ruined. And this is where that separation takes place. Now, verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come into you. The cypress, the pine, the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious, and also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I'll make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink dry the milk of the Gentiles, you shall milk the, the breast of kings. That's a metaphor, I'm sure. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I'm going to bring gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stone, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall be no longer be heard in your land. In the millennium, this is where the swords are beaten into plowshares, and they will learn of war no more. And that's all we're seeing on you know the evening news every single night. Verse 18, violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall... Call your walls salvation and your gates praise. 19 and 20 interesting scriptures. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you as an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, 
and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Now I'm gonna come back to that. And also your people shall all be in righteousness. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Let's go back and talk about no longer a sun and no longer a moon, and notice that there's a transition from this kingdom age, which goes from darkness, the tribulation, into the kingdom, but then after the kingdom, we have forever. Everybody with me on that? Okay, we went from the tribulation into, in the first couple of verses, into the kingdom age, and after the kingdom age, we have going into eternity because the millennium is a thousand years long, not forever. So where's the transition? Let's go to the book of Revelation and pick up at verse 21. Jesus, the light of the world, will be there. He is also the light of the new Jerusalem, The universe no longer will need street lights on the corners. After all, the sun and stars are street lights out in space. God did not light up the universe very well because sin has come in. But in that day, he is really going to light things up in a glorious way. Revelation chapter 21 tells us, let's pick it up in verse 24. We've gone from, at the end of chapter 20, the end of the thousand years. If you go to verse 7, here's where you see the the, um, transition from the kingdom age into eternity. So if you look at verse 7, it says, When the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Um, they will, he will deceive many, and they surround Jerusalem, but fire comes down, and you have the final judgment, and then you have the end of the thousand years. But again, before the, they can enter in, there has to be this final judgment. Now, Isaiah tells us that there's going to be no sun and no moon, but the Lord himself will be the light. More clarity is given to us in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, neither shall be night there. Now, in my cross-reference, it says Isaiah 60, verse 20. And that's the fulfillment of it. Gang, one of the reasons you have to go through the whole Bible, and as we're in Isaiah, I always want to be able to to connect the dots. Uh, This was 700 years before Jesus um, was even uh, here for the first time. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and there will be by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes a bump abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
verse 21, I saw no, uh, verse 22, I saw no temple for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it and its lamb is, is its light. Wow. Here's a city, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles high. The streets are paved with translucent gold, and every layer is a significant, beautiful gem. The 12 different layers going 1,400 feet high, and they're, we would basically say they're, they're precious stones. And uh, they're laid out for us uh, in verse 19. I'll just go through them quickly. The sapphire, um, the jasper, the emerald, the sardonyx, the sardis, the crystallite, beryl, um, uh, amethyst. In other words, these precious stones, and it's in a cube probably encased with a spear, probably... Um, There's debate how the dimension of this. But the point that I would make is the focal point would be the temple, and that's where the light is shining from. So when you take a diamond ring and you want to see its quality, they usually put a bright light into it, right? See if there's any imperfections, then you get your little eyeglass, you go, oh, there's a little imperfection there. But the light comes in this way. This city that we're going to be living in, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, this is what he's talking about. And uh, we'll be in the New Jerusalem for that thousand years, and I think we'll have access back and forth to planet Earth during the millennium. I believe that we're going to have uh, responsibilities. Jesus told the parable about if you're faithful now over little things, then I'm going to have you be faithful over much when you reign with me. Revelation, one of the promises, remember, to the seven churches, you will reign and rule as kings and priests, where? On the planet Earth. But that doesn't mean that's where you're living. You're living in the New Jerusalem. And Isaiah's talking about it. So the difference here is, instead of the light coming in looking down on a diamond, this light is going out. And I can't even begin to imagine the glory and the beauty of our eternal home. So the transition where it says forever and ever and ever would be chapter 20, the end of the millennial reign, and then going into forever and ever and ever. Chapter 21 says there's a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord's not going to revamp the old planet earth. It's been pretty much, it needs a complete overhaul. He's just going to make a brand new one. New heavens and a new earth. All right, we made it through chapter 60. And I'm in big trouble. (laughs) Chapter 61. I can go through a little bit more quickly because this was our text on Sunday. So let me just state, again, a chronology. Let's read the first three verses. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. All right? On Sunday, we stopped here. We went to Luke chapter 4, if you weren't with us on Sunday. And after Jesus was baptized, he was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And then he goes to his hometown, 
of Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue. And they hand him the book of Isaiah, and he finds Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads it up to verse 2 in the middle of Atacama, and he closes the book, hands it back to the attendee, and he says, today, this verse is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke chapter 4, if you weren't here. The title for last Sunday was, I called it The Gaps, because what the Lord didn't do is finish the sentence. The rest of the sentence is, and the day of vengeance of our God. That is the tribulation period. Revelation 6, verse 17 is, is the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of his wrath has come. And so he couldn't, he had to close the book there because that's all that was being fulfilled. 700 years earlier, it's being written here by Isaiah, and all of a sudden, that day came. There was a day that that verse was going to be fulfilled, and Jesus says, you're seeing it right here. And what was the reaction? They wanted to kill him. (laughs) Who do you think you are? We know you're the carpenter's kid. And I showed you the picture of what Nazareth looks like in the precipice. And they wanted to throw him off. All right, let's finish it. The, the next verse, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I think it's just a good place to interject why Jesus said it was his custom to be in the synagogue on Saturday. What if we didn't have this custom of getting over the hump on Wednesday night where we gotta go face the world that's going down the tubes on Thursday morning and we're not reminded again, hey, this is not our home. This is not home. Everything we're reading here is what we gotta go through to get to our home. And and Paul, in writing in the New Testament, says, look, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I'm telling you these things to stir you up, to remind you that it's all about the kingdom of heaven. That's where your home is. That's your eternal home. And this place here is just a dash, you know? Born here, dash, died here. Or born here, dash, raptured, preferably sooner rather than later. Amen? But you're just a dash, and that's all you are. And what we do with it we need to continually be reminded it's about heaven. Now, the false teachers that are out there are telling you it's all about you having a better life now. I just quoted one of Joel Olstein's book. You can have a better life now. And instead of making Jesus the focal point, he makes you the focal point. Because people love to hear something good about themselves, and if I can have something better now, all the better. Except that's not biblical. The Lord says, narrow is, is the gate that leads to life, and few be that find it. But broad is the gate, wide is the gate, that leads to destruction, and many be that find that. You guys need to know you're in the minority. Um, and you're going to hear sarcasm like this. Oh, you, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I don't buy that. I haven't met that person yet. I've never met the person who's so heavenly minded. The person who's really heavenly minded, he's going about his father's business. My Bible says those who have the blessed hope of the rapture purify themselves. 
If you're living in the awareness that the Lord actually could come, well, you're watching your P's and Q's. It's, it has a purifying effect. And it's, they, they say, well, you have this escapist mentality because you're having a bad day. No, I just want to be with the Lord. And um, I realize, again, that this is, is not my home. So in these first three verses, we have fulfilled. Seven, 2,000 years ago, Jesus fulfilled, up to verse 2. Um, the day of vengeance of our God, that hasn't happened. Um, but the stage is sure being set for that. Verse 4, and they shall... Build up the old ruins, they will raise up the former desolations, they will repair the ruined cities. The desolation of many generations, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you will be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the servants of our God. Again, this is one of the promises that will rule and reign with him. He said, if, again, though, if you're faithful in the little things now. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you will have double honor, and instead of confusion, there shall be rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth and make with them an everlasting covenant. And their descendants shall be known even among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed." And it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I love this verse here. My soul will be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. Again, um, this is one of the the promises there that you will be clothed in white. You're going to be given a new name. The name you have now is not going to be the name that you have forever. The Lord's going to have a new name. And he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. Now, as a bridegroom decks herself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. One of the things that intrigues me about heaven is when Paul went there, Second uh, Corinthians 12. He talks about going to heaven. Paul had a life after death experience. And he says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. And he said, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But he was taken to the third heaven. And he says there, he says, he doesn't say the things that I saw. He says, the things that I heard, it would be a crime for any human being to try to put them in in vocabulary or try to express them. And the scripture that comes to mind is, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither has it entered into my mind the things that God has prepared for those who love him. 
I mean heaven, a place that's actually there. But what intrigues me here is I love, I can't tell you how much I love music and worship. And um, I, it would be really hard in these days if there wasn't music. Somebody want to say amen? I study with music going all the time and all different kinds. It doesn't distract me at all. It, it sets my mind at a place so I can actually concentrate while, in, while I'm enjoying it. But here it talks about my soul shall be joyful in the Lord and greatly rejoice. And there's this anticipation here as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with her, with her jewels. Talking about this anticipation that's there. And uh, 62, let's do it quickly, is um, the theme here is the ambition of the Messiah for Israel, the anticipation of the millennium, and the announcement for the future day. So again, it's like a bridegroom looking forward to her wedding day. Verse one, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and as her salvation as the lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory and you will be called by a new name. Didn't, we just, didn't I just mention that? In heaven, you're gonna be given a new name. You shall be called by a new name. I kind of wonder what my name's gonna be. Don't you wanna know what your name is? I wanna know. Uh, which the mouth of the Lord will name. So evidently the Lord's gonna come up to you and he's gonna call you your name and you go, oh yeah, that's who I am. And you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem. Another place in scripture talks about the time when he's gonna put together his jewels. And that's how he looks at you. You're a jewel and something very, very precious to him. What makes something valuable? I was watching, um, I'll make a confession here. Um, what's the program, the pickers, the two guys from Iowa that go around? Well, I was, I was just sort of zoning out watching it this afternoon. And I come across this guy that collected uh, these, um, um, these cars for, for kids that you pedal. And uh, they came across one, and the claim was it was only one of a kind. And um, it was appraised, so on and so forth. But what made it valuable and the reason one of the pickers wanted to buy it, it was the only one ever made. And so they were very, very interested in in buying it. My point is this, what makes something valuable? And that is its scarcity. If there's only one of a kind, then that's very, very valuable, a jewel. Well, guess what? You're one of a kind. It always blows my mind when I think that the Lord has this much space to work us from here to here, from here to here, and he can create eight billion different faces. That's roughly where the world is at right now. Give each one of them a different voice. Give each one of them a different personality, and he does it all within this much space. Now that blows my mind. (laughs) And that makes you unique in that you're one of a kind. So because you're one of a kind, you're extremely 
When he says, in the day I make up my jewels, all his jewels are one-of-a-kind jewels. And um, so that anticipation, he's going to get the job done. He says, I'm not going to rest until that happens. Verse 3, you shall, we read that, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, verse 4, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hepzibah, and the land Belua, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. There's this anticipation. I think one of the things we want to glean as we close tonight is he wants us to yearn for these things. He says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So where's your heart? He wants your heart, and he calls you his bride, and he's the bridegroom. Good place for an amen? And so we got to keep it. All this means nothing unless it's in the context of your love for the Lord. Paul said, none of these things profit me. It's, It's my love for Jesus that motivates me. The love of Christ, he says, compels me. And if we have any other motive for doing any, anything other than I love Jesus, and because I love him, I want to be with him, and the anticipation of this future Jerusalem, he's comparing it to, um, you know, the day of your wedding day. You know, you're marking them off, the time until, until that actually happens. Verse 6, I have set a watchman on your walls, O Jerusalem, who shall never hold their peace day or night, You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes and he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain to be food to your enemies and the sons of your foreigners shall not drink your new wine, which you have labored. But those who have gathered it, it shall drink it and praise the Lord. And those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, explanation point. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Take out the stones. Lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. And if anybody's watching live stream and you happen to be Jewish, then I'm telling you today, happy birthday today. You're 68 years old as a nation. And um, your salvation surely is coming. God has conditional covenants he made with Israel and unconditional promises. And one of the unconditional was is he would bring to them a kingdom and that he would come. Surely your salvation is coming, and behold, his reward is with him. That takes us, for the church anyway, to 1 Corinthians 3. For his works before him, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So chapter 62, (laughs) I made it right almost on time. (laughs) 
And I wanted to get through 62 because I'm looking forward to doing 63 on Sunday. So what do we have? Well, the world is going to go through some dark times. As we read in our first chapter tonight, the sun's going to rise. The kingdom is going to come. But before that, darkness is going to cover the earth, literally. And then we have the, the kingdom age referred to uh, in uh, this chapter. And then we have um, the future and the glory of the kingdom. And leaving us with this thought to think about it, anticipate it, and um, the very first thing that the Lord told us to pray for, and I mentioned it often, our Father, as we sang that beautiful worship song, may your will be done, what's the rest of it? May your kingdom come. Such a beautiful, heartfelt song, written by Bill Waters, by the way. And that should once again remind us on Wednesday night, hump night, that it's not about here, we're strangers, pilgrims, and we just be passing through. Amen? Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, on the anniversary, the 68th year of you regathering your people back into the land, we see it as a signpost. You said there would be one sign in particular to look for. We happen to be that generation. So help us heed the warnings, the four times that you warn us against the false doctrines that will be out there, telling us that it's all about the here and now, when your word tells us just the opposite, that we're to be praying for your kingdom to come and really look at it in a romantic sense of a way of wanting just to be with our groom and be with you. So Lord, bless your people as we go out tonight. Thank you for the book of Isaiah and the prophecies there that have been fulfilled and the ones that are yet remaining to be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen.